This episode is brought to you by Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere with no hardware, just the smartphone you're already using. Tresta is the best business phone app on the market, whether you're freelancing, working remotely, or running a small business. Growing your network and your business is all about communication. You've got to be available no matter where you are. Tresta offers the call management features that empower you to communicate smarter and more efficiently, like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself all online. Tresta's virtual phone system makes it easier and more affordable to set up a fully functioning mobile office. It's just $15 per user per month with no contract. So start your free 30-day trial today at Tresta.com frequency. That's www.tresta.com frequency. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E minus 37 seconds. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. Tear down. happening coming up on stage. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. And welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host for the day, Ryan Treasure. And you know, I really love Finding Your Frequency Fridays because it just really gives us the opportunity to find our frequency whether it be in life, in business, or what have you, but got a great show for you guys today. We, we always talk about business and entrepreneurs and how people made their money and what makes them tick, but we're going to shift gears just a little bit today, and we're going to really delve deep into a little bit of new technologies and some of the upcoming things. It's 2020. Uh, we're on the cusp of a technology revolution uh, with artificial intelligence, clean energy, all kinds of things around transportation, and of course, productivity systems, and all of those things will be uh, topics that we'll discuss today, and I want to introduce my guest and also the person who wrote the fantastic song for Finding Your Frequency, Mr. J. Paul Duplantis, who's a tech humanist and founder of EmergentWeb.org. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Great to be here. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come in, and uh, you know, uh, we're we're all been cooped up in the house, and, and <laughs> yeah. so it's probably nice to get out a little bit. Huh? Oh, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to come down here. I want to check out your studios, and nice. And I've been following your shows for for quite some time, and I've known you for quite some time, right? Yeah. 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 You've also been a panel member on Technology Revolution: Future of Now on our business channel as well. Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you know. Paul and I wanted to just kind of have a discussion candidly about technology and where things are going and how we're going to get there and some of the challenges that humans are going to have. And, you know, I'm an absolute lover of all things space. Um, I can't. I can't find any more stuff to watch on Hulu and Netflix anymore. <laughs> I've probably watched all of them. Uh, but, you know, one of those things that, that really fascinates me uh, is just just the fact that humans have so much potential. Right. As, as, as people, we all have potential and we've got to figure out a way to tap into that potential to move into the next level of humanity. We've been kind of, I feel like, a dually stuck in the mud at the mud bogs. Uh, we know stuff. We do things, but we haven't been able to in the last hundred years really propel, pr- propel 
past a certain precipice. We've been kind of uh, kind of stuck, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, where uh, the word emergent comes from, Emergent Web, the blog that I have, is uh, I read uh, Stephen Johnson's book, Emergence, and how he was describing the, how ants, ant colonies work outside the central, uh, centralized control of the, of the queen ant. Yeah. And... Uh, I've had these ideas for 20, 25 years, and after I read that book, it really started to formulate more of a, uh, a concrete idea of, of what I was going for. And just as you say that we are stuck, because to some degree, really, are we, when you're controlled from the outside, top down, mm-hmm. versus having the opportunity to be able to have more of a voice from the bottom up, uh, I think that we can be more powerful as a society. But the thing is, before technology, communication technology, we didn't really naturally have those capabilities. We were – it was a lot easier for us to be controlled. I thought actually f- the dawn of social media that we would actually escape that. But <laughs> to some degree, I think it may be worse. I don't know what you think, Ryan. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, I, I think social media kind of uh, – you know, it's great to have a digital platform and a mechanism for you to communicate with your friends and family and to, um, you know, market your brands and some of those types of things. But when you start getting into uh, – you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to throw right out there because I don't really care. Facebook, they censor everybody. <laughs> You know, I don't know how many times, uh, you know, some of our guys that are in the studio have been posting ideas that they've had, whether it be political or whatever. And they're not even saying like curse words or anything bad about anybody. They're just simply putting out an idea that is against the liberal mindset and they get banned from Facebook or they remove their post. And so those social media sites, even though they're supposed to be social, are some set of controls based upon the end user agreement that governs that particular website and it doesn't let you expand or really have free thought or free focus or free uh, 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 thought leadership in a realm where you can, you know, not be scrutinized for what you say. Yes, and we're more or less, it's, it's influenced in how we think. And even with Google, when you think about Google, when you do a search term on Google mm-hmm. and uh, out of the millions and millions on the bottom, you see that there's 225 million results. Well, you're fed the first page. So what is with that when you think about that? And they use popularity of links and, and things like that. But my, one of my big deals is the fact of, uh, I don't know if you've read about the majority illusion before, to where we're uh, you know, influenced by the things that we're given. And then when somebody else has read something, and then you have that kind of authority to where you believe them. That's what happened in the 2016 presidential debate from Facebook. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, what, there was five or 6,000 um, posts that were shared, and then 250 million or millions of millions. Yeah, well, of you, have, <laughs> you have the same thing going on right now with COVID-19. Yeah. You know, you have, you know, one state does one thing, and then another state follows, and then they follow, and then they follow, and they follow, and they're not really, like, looking at the data to make decisions they're just going oh well if the governor of so and so did something though then we should probably do the same thing well, and here's a, one it's like thing. a monkey see, monkey do oh, kind it of is. problem. And <laughs> one of the, the fundamental flaws in the way that the Internet communication and communication in general is a lack of sourcing. And I think that's when you saw the things back in 2016 that were shared is that that's a that's a that's a search term away to be able to verify if that was right or not. Right. And uh, Douglas Engelbard, a guy that I've followed for years, one of the inventor of the mouse and, and uh, was big on decentralized technology, would talk about the fact of of you really building the platforms back in the 60s that he wanted to build that had sourcing built into to it. And uh, when you just looked at this kind of the collectivized knowledge uh, platform that we have now is uh, I, I personally think it's a little bit dangerous. And, uh, and, and when you see about the COVID-19 and what's going on, uh, 
you know, influence how we think, manipulate how we think. Uh, and yes, we should be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and think for ourselves. Yeah. But when you have things inundating you day after day after day of everything that you're on, Facebook, Twitter. It, it's that, it's literally a source of control. Yes. 100%. That's why I, I, I listen to music on the way in today, right? Because I'm like, I can't, I can't listen to the same song and dance over and over and over yeah. again it's like it's like the definition of insanity like I, there, there's i don't you know I, 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 I don't know that there's going to be another expected result other than what we've been hearing other than oh we're going to move these dates we're going to move these dates we're going to move these dates well you know effectively like let's hear let's hear some of the other better more important things like chevrolet shutting down part of its detroit plant to make respirators yes. you know but why, why isn't that stuff on the news you know a guy in new york city who uh it, not not new york city new york state um who was a bourbon distiller right and he shut down half of his bourbon distillery to make hand sanitizer like where are all the good things that are happening and why are those not being covered on the news because there is a there is a hidden agenda somewhere i don't know what it is and we'll probably never figure it out, but it's there somewhere. <laughs> it generates clicks, right? Is what it does is it generates. And the whole model is built on, on um, and, and we need profit. Believe me, I'm not one of those to, to, to turn that over, but is everything is maximized on clicks. I'm actually wrapping up an essay on, on presidential debates saying we need to clean up presidential debates. That's the title of my, of my essay. And um, I'm going to publish that probably tomorrow. And uh, when you think about that is that uh, even with the audience, okay, the audience in a, in a current presidential debate, when they're clapping or booing, and then we have people that are listening to that, you know, these, these subtle little things can, can really sway the information that you're receiving. So a, a presidential candidate can say something, boo, boo. Well, these little subtle things, these little triggers can help and people digest that information and do something else with it. So, and you take that with the collective of the internet and them withholding some of these good stories as you talk about is it can move society. And, uh, it, that's where I think we are, and it's it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, and I think a lot of those things, whether you look at it from the presidential debates or social media or uh, standard traditional news media outlets like your ABC, NBC, Fox, you know, those types of outlets, um, there is a thing called neuro-linguistic programming, right? If I can if I can speak in a manner where you're going to listen to what I have to say, I can get you to do what I want you to do. Absolutely. I mean, that's like the number one tactic that salespeople use. Um, you know, what one of them is called pacing, right? So you get somebody on the telephone and you're trying to do your pitch and you have one person on the one end and their particular personality is about, you know, they're, they're really fast talker. They're really fast thinker. They're real snappy, right? Well, if you're as a salesperson, you can't pace that. You guys aren't going to be able to have a conversation, right? So the same thing works with presidential elections and social media and the idea of being able to sway somebody's decision from one way or the other is getting them to trust you because they're listening to you by pacing properly. So that way you're now on their wavelength. And it happens all the time in those presidential debates, the, the booing and the clapping, right? It starts to trigger in your mind. Okay, well, well, what did this person say that was wrong? Well, wait a minute. They're booing. They're clapping. I've already forgot about what the problem That's was. Exactly it. Right. And I'm already, you know, in my head, I'm moving on to the next place. I wish people would take notes during presidential debates, <laughs> right, at home, right? Because, oh, they booed, but why did they boo? Okay, well, what's, what was the question? What was the answer? What was the actual subject matter that they were talking about versus the outside influences of media? Like, with the COVID-19 thing, I actually think that having a presidential debate without an audience would be the most beneficial thing that you could have because you could actually see the two people 
one-on-one -on -one against each other without an audience interaction, without anybody being able to sway what the next person's going to talk about or how they're going to do anything um, with just a single moderator asking questions that are sent in by the people. Yeah, and this uh, the, actually they did that with the Bernie and, and the, the Biden debate, the last that one. wasn't a very good debate. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but it was, but I tell you, you can see the dynamics when you don't have you don't have an audience and really if an audience if it was a town hall it would be a different thing if you actually had the feedback but it's not feedback it's booing and, yeah, and, and cheering staged yes it's exactly <laughs> it and my, the other thing in my article is I argue with the fact that you shouldn't have media companies hosting it you should have I argue for C-SPAN so C-SPAN yeah. non-profit public service company PBS go look at all the old debates the Kennedy let, uh, you know, let, uh, let the kids at the Walter Cronkite school go do exactly. that exactly 100% <laughs> and that's that's my argument on, yeah. on the whole thing and uh, you know I I never like to identify a problem without talking about a solution. That's the way that I've always ran. And whether the solution is wrong or not, but we're, 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 our society is built more on identifying problems. And that just creates more noise to me, <laughs> is that let's, let's talk about the problems and what's the solution behind it. We can sit there, and I've, I've talked to people about they don't want to listen to the debates. It's like, well, can't we just talk, can't we make the debates more effective for, for, for the citizenry, uh, whether it's the United States or any other, other country? And uh, well, you know, we're talking about these things that you could utilize Facebook, you could utilize your smartphone apps to be able to engage with the policy behind the debates, right. and then fuse that in to give them, and then, and if it was was just the people debating, talking about policy points that was engaged with the Walter Cronkite mm -hmm. school of, of people. Then, and if you made that, another thing is that we should make that readily available on the web. And my argument is put it in structured data. Just my, my, what I'd say is that if you can find a movie, Forrest Gump, easily on the top of a search result, and it's nice and structured, why wouldn't you be able to see a, a, a nice structured debate, um, yeah. the content, the original content? So. Back in, I'm going to say probably 2006 or 2007, uh, when this company was publicly traded, we had a product where um, the the chief, uh, uh, the CIO's father was a state senator for the for Arizona. Oh, right. And so he he's from Tucson. And so one of the things that we used to do as part of our product is we would go and webcast these debates. Right. And we built a technology in the webcast that allowed the normal person who's watching the debate to drive the questions for the debate. Yeah, yeah. Right. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a moderator who had a pre set of 10 questions. All of the questions came by way of a chat function that was built into the video player. Right. So then the end user could go, oh, I want to ask this candidate this question, types it into the question. The question popped up on a giant monitor and they just went in the order of which those questions were put in. And all of the questions were coming from end users watching the debate. And the structure was that that, that was the structure. You're answering the questions that the people want to know, not predetermined questions that the people may not even care about. Well, yes. And predetermined questions from moderators who actually work for the companies <laughs> who's hosting. And I, I actually use a, when you think about that, when you look at the Kennedy debates or even the Nixon debates, you don't have logos of the of the journalists, of the, of the media companies behind there. And what does that really say? <laughs> is that it's a kind of an Orwellian thing to me is that it's 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 we should not have media companies or even journalists. And I, I love journalists. It's a, it's a great point. But you should not be able to have them drive the narrative of a, of a debate. And this goes beyond just presidential debates. I use any it as debate. A presidential debate. Absolutely. Yeah. Even and, all, all the way down to like who you're voting for, for school superintendent in your local community. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so that's a, that's a thing about the fact of uh, uh, something I've been working on when I talk about Emergent Web is I, I've, I've got this crazy idea 
idea about, I guess it's not crazy, but there's there, there, the three um, legs of a stool, the people, the government, and business. And my argument is that we should have a balance, right? Sometimes whenever you get too much control from the government, you get too much control from the business, and even you get too much control from the people. We see how that worked out before. But <laughs> I, I, I think that when you even were talking about the frame of the debates, we can see that the people are more or less kind of a smaller part of that. And uh, we need to in everything. And, and the thing is what I think that, that could possibly help balance this out is technology, the proper use of technology. And uh, so actually we can, you were talking about drones. And and what they're doing on the uh, the surveillance side with COVID nineteen? Yeah, I have I have a press release I got a, on on my desk this morning, and it says autonomous drones are the first line of defense in global health disasters. The swift spread of the coronavirus impacts human lives and businesses systems across the globe dramatically and detrimentally. Well, the rest of it goes on about talking about protecting the health of personnel, maintaining critical business processes, minimizing disruption to company operations, delivery of fast medical supplies, leveraging drones, right? Flying, yeah, yeah, using yeah, a drone yeah. to drop stuff off. So you think about it, I'm, and and this is always my debate with technology. I love technology. It's the it's the it's the problem solver of the future. Right. The problem with technology is, is you have two sides of technology. You have the here's a drone that can deliver stuff and get things where it needs to go and help healthcare professionals get masks, get this, get that, get that. Then there's the other side of it. And there's the government oversight where um, are these drones watching people and are they going to swoop down and give me a citation because I walked out of my front door or, um, you know, those types of things. So that's the two parts of technology. That's why um, uh, robotics and AI scare the shit out of me. Right. Um, And and the same thing with drones technology. All all three of those bits of technology leveraged incorrectly could be very bad for humanity. Yes. And, uh, you know, a. A hammer wielded by a nun versus a serial killer. When you think about that, right? You talk about a, a tool. Yeah. It's how we use the tool. Yeah. And uh, human nature and the human condition, we have a tendency to uh, – this story has been told over and over and over again. You look at the, the, the rise and falls of empires. and, and uh, uh, but, but my thing is, is that – and we can talk about the decentralized part of this – is that I firmly believe that we need to build technology that – people are in control of as opposed to centralized forces. You talk about the drone, right? So you've got a centralized network that are frying this grid of drones and they're making decisions based on AI, what's the best for society? Well, what's the best for society is let's keep everybody under control, right? Well, you think. (laughs) So that that dual side of it that you talk about. Yeah, where do you instill the values? Yeah, yeah. Like in the the beginning, like I'm I'm afraid as in, in the, like in, you know, the birth of AI happened a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Right. So as AI starts to learn and, you know, machine learning and robotics process automation becomes such a larger component, where does the value, the human value system come in to the robotics or the, the AI? At, where does the human insert the human in the AI? Absolutely. And, when I, when I, and I don't say physically, but I mean the ideas of what our values are as human beings, like don't kill another human being, you know, don't rob them, no stealing, you know, don't be the golden rule, you know, some of those things. Like, how do you get AI to understand those concepts and, well, not, and not think that it knows better than you because it is uh, part of the collective? Well, and, and so I've been following this guy, Ben Gertzel. He's also the, the guy that does the AI for the uh, Sophia robot. Okay. Yeah. Um, with David Hansen. 
and he has a company called Singularity Net, and uh, he is building a platform that is uh, it's it, you think about this, okay? So Facebook, who can afford to harness the full capabilities of AI, they've got the money. Google. Uh, GE, these big companies, what he wants to do is build a platform that smaller individuals can harness the power of AI to be able to build solutions for ed tech, for hospitals. And so yeah. the whole idea is, and, and, uh, you know, even the name of the company, Singularity, <laughs> when you think about that, it's going to scare you. Yeah. Um, but it's the thing. It's just like the single thing with Tim Berners-Lee with the solid pods that I've talked about before, is it we need to build technology. It's, it's all about small. And I think to some degree this, this uh, coronavirus deal is possibly going to reset us a little bit, you know, as opposed to going towards the big, the big box stores, the big tech, is that we might wake up and think, you know what, it's more about the small. It's about the individual. It's about uh, well, that's community. that's the only place I can find toilet paper now is at the small stores. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, but, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, let's talk about the fact of, of what, what the coronavirus might do with, with the technology and how we might evolve. Ed tech is, you know, they're having to gear up. With We're Zoom doing it right and, now. Yeah. We're doing it right now. My daughter, uh, my daughter is now doing on online classes. They canceled school for the rest of the year. So they've been using uh, a product that Google makes called Google Classroom, yep. you know, loading up all the lessons plans. Uh, and, and the crazy thing is, is the teacher's not even really involved, right? The teacher gives her little video dissertation that's 15 minutes long or something for the week and says, here's the work that you need to do. Now go complete the work. And th- there's no, there's no one-on-one learning. There's no teacher involved anymore. Um, it puts the parent in control of some of those aspects, which I, I th- which I like in some respects because I've dealt with, and I'm sure you have kids, so you, yeah. you know, you know this too. You've dealt with when your kid went to school, you had, a, uh, some of the teachers were good teachers and some of the teachers were terrible teachers, yep. right? Well, the good teachers, there's far fewer of the good teachers than there are the really crappy teachers. And, you know, if bridging that gap means mom and dad are more active in that day-to-day capacity of learning, then I'm all for that. But what do you do with the good teachers? Because you don't want to lose them. Their knowledge is invaluable. How do you make sure in a world of technology of tech ed where, you know, you're doing distance learning, where does the teacher come into play to be able to insert some of the things that a parent doesn't know? Well, yeah. Well, you break open the status quo because the fact of it, when I was really big into AR and VR a while ago, uh, I was working with a company called Hypatia that they were experimenting with these virtual worlds. And one of the things I was writing is the fact of, of uh you know, how how it, you think about that? You you find some of these teachers that are just phenomenal. And my son has been lucky; he's had some really good teachers. And um, but there could be kids in Harlem that could access it because we have the technology. We have or anywhere. You know, a, a kid in in India and in, in the lowest class or caste. You know. This now, because we have this this ability to communicate real time, these teachers now could influence and, and be connected with people all over the world. So, it, but, but, but the way that the structures are right now, the educational structures are not really well, set up for that. Well, and that's the same problem with, I think, you know, the hierarchy of our particular structure in general, right? Not just education, but when you, we live in a top-down society, exactly, right? And like you said earlier, if we could live from a bottom-up society or take it another step further, talk about middle out, yeah. Right. Kind of a kind of a, a slightly different idea. But from the middle out, then you have the ability to look at the median instead of the low and take that and project it outwards in the other direction and uh, and, and, and then decentralize some of the components that are there because it's coming from the middle, not from the bottom or from the top, um, because I feel like, you know, 
back in World War II, what made America America and made America great was the working middle class, right? All of those working middle class people. And I'm not saying that there's no value in upper or lower classes. I just think there shouldn't be a class structure in the first place. Like I'm a human, you're a human, we're all just humans. Um, Let's, let's, Let's crowdsource these problems. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about labor, that's the, that is the thing. That is the key of it. And Adam Smith wrote about that. When you really look about his writings, um, A Wealth of Nations and uh, Theory of Moral Sentiments, is that capitalism, to me, in my opinion, has lost its way in this centralized, centralized platform aggregate that allows the power to rise to the top like an oil and then it separates it from the water mm-hmm. and the thing is everybody can rise to the top but they make it easier to to stay on the top you know what i mean and if, if, if decentralization of technology but we don't want to lose the other side because we don't because as soon as you know you you society loses the power of control then you have tyrannical people that come in and, and say we're we're going to come in and we're going to build a better society and then <laughs> 10 years later here out comes the the boots and the and the yeah, and then we're back at revolution <laughs> it's again. exactly yeah. it and the, to me it's not about revolution it's about evolution yeah. and i think dev, uh, the decentralizing technology in a in a way because you brought this up before that's why i always like to talk to you because i always learn so much when i talk to you is that we could build you know decentralizing in of itself is not That could be bad, like you mentioned before, right? It could be. Yeah. So you could have had networks that are decentralized that can actually be very bad. So, and that's why I I use the word emergent. I I like the word emergent because the fact of of use these technologies to separate us, but then empower us to bring us together, to work together as a whole. And, um, you know, you don't do away with government. You don't do away with business. I love business. I, I particularly love small business. I mean, I, I favor that. You let the middle out, another thing I learned. Yeah. I love that. And uh, it, it, you create, and it's about creating more opportunities for the people from the bottom to be able to rise to that. And and really, what is it? Is it just to make money or is it to make our lives better? Well, I think it's both. I think you, gotta ha- you have to have a structure in society that allows the hard workers to earn more than the people who don't. And that's, that's my biggest problem with like socialism. You know, if everybody has an equal, you know, uh, I guess an equal piece of the pie. Well, what if, you know, you got one guy over here working 50 hours in a, in a, in a, in a week and another person working 20 hours in a week. And if their bank accounts both have the same amount of money in them, how is that fair to the person who works the 50 hours? And that's why I like the idea of middle out. Yes. And see, this is a thing is that you, you should have a debate with my son. Uh, Vaughn's really getting into the, the, the politics side of it, and, and I, you know, he he will bring up some points. My my thing is, is it's opportunity. So we need to be because I don't think that we have enough. The system is not such that everybody has the same amount of opportunity. That's hundred percent. And and so we can talk about the fact of of you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all of that, but and, and even the, the the things of the 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 elements of socialism. It, that's why I tell my son, it's like, let's come up with a better word or let's come up with another word. <laughs> let's talk about opportunism. Yeah, you well, know, we, we, we've already seen what socialism has done. I mean, like, I think sometimes the younger generation, they forget about World War Two. They forget about the idea of what Nazi Germany was built on. Right. That, that was socialism. Right. And and. 
it doesn't work. It's already been proven. Yeah, and <laughs> that's why I'd like you to talk to my son about that because I, I will, and I actually to help my my bait with my son reading the Communist Manifesto again. Yeah. I just wrapped it up again, and um, there there's but, but the thing is when you talk about labor, the exchange of value. You talked about value. If we just look at the core of the opportunity to provide a a a healthy exchange of value between labor, between people, and create that opportunity. I don't care if you call it socialism or capitalism or whatever it is. Let's get to work and create those opportunities to to build that better exchange. Because that's the thing: is that the labeling that just, it, it just because I don't. You know, there's a lot of people, very smart people that I know that are on that side of, of talking about the value of socialism. And I always bring up, you know, you don't have examples. You know, in the northern European countries that use social programs within capitalism, you have a lot of well, great uh, examples. You, the United States has social programs Absolutely. that are very similar in some respects. But I think where people lose out is the, the they, they for, you talk about opportunity. The opportunity is to shift from the current way of thinking to a knowledge-based economy. Yes. Knowledge should be the currency. Absolutely. Right. But if, access to knowledge, though, because you can what, – what about the fact that people can't afford an internet connection? They can't afford a phone. That's the thing. Is that, yeah, right? And those are some of those things like I feel, you know, like water, you know, going to the bathroom, uh, health care, uh, access to internet and, 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 uh, and instruction and learning. Like those should all be fundamental human rights. Right. And so there, so that's that's something that I do agree with when some of the socialist platforms. Um, but the economy behind the component is what I don't agree with. Yes, and that is a and that has proven itself to never really. Uh, that's always been a struggle. And I, I had a debate with a guy on Facebook, a flame war to some degree about the fact of FDR <laughs> and and what he did in on and uh, you know bringing in the workforce. But my thing is because he was saying that that was a pure socialist. It's like no, those are private companies. So he actually got the people to do the labor to build the roads and to build infrastructure. But those were private companies. So it was a, it was a beautiful partnership between social programs and capitalism. We're dealing with the Connect Two Hundred Two project, right? Three large companies had to come together in order to complete the largest freeway project in the history of Arizona. There, there was no way for one of the large construction companies to be able to do it because the project was too big. So three large companies had to come together and figure out a plan how to work together for the people to deliver something that we paid for as taxpayers. Yes. It, 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 it's the most beautiful thing on, on history like uh, for Arizona. When you think about the logistics behind getting three multi-billion dollar construction yeah, companies absolutely. to come together and, and not fight each other, you know, not any of that. And, you know, kudos to the state of Arizona because they had everything structured in a manner where, you know, it was like, yes, you guys are all going to work together, but here's what I'm going to tell you. This is state of Arizona told Connect to uh, Connect 202. They said, if you don't get the project done by this time, we're going to fine all of you $150,000 a day. <laughs> Right. And yeah, so th yeah. th now you have motivation that's been created that wasn't <laughs> yeah. necessarily there before. <laughs> yeah. Well, look at that. You know, I, I work down at, I also work at a uh, motorcycle shop down in, um, um Hoorah motor Motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly's Kawasaki. And, uh, down there in Mesa, Arizona, I'm seeing a major growth in the homeless problem. And uh, I see it every day. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. they're sleeping outside of our doors in the morning and, and passing out with noodles on their arms outside our parts department. And uh, it's a real problem. So the thing is, is that as a society, how do we look at that? It's like those people are messed up. So, you know, cast them aside. When you, this reference you were talking about of, of businesses working together is it, I, I think the new way moving forward is to it's a, less about blame and 
or either victimhood or blaming a victim and just finding the programs that can work. And, and it, homelessness is a, is a very delicate and difficult problem to overcome. But I'm telling you, it, to me, it, it seems to be getting worse. Well, no, I mean, it's 100% worse. Look at Skid Row in Los Angeles. I mean, 10 years ago, if you were to go to the same location in Los Angeles, it wasn't like that. Yes. You know, and, it, and the reason it's like that is because you had failed social structure in a given state or in a given co- an economy that caused that to happen. Uh, when, 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 when you, when you got to pay $2,400 a month for a one bedroom apartment, Ugh. you know what I mean? It makes it, it makes it real easy for one to make a decision that, you know, I'm just going to sleep in my car, Yeah, you know, as long as I have a job then, you know, but when, then what does that turn into? But there's so many different factors, and especially when you talk about homelessness that I think that it's, it's really hard to come up with a, uh, a, a one-size-fits-all solution because the reason why a particular uh, human is homeless, there are so many differentiating factors. Mm-hmm. Some people have mental health problems. Some people have drug problems. Some people have drug problems because of mental, mental health, health problems yep. because they're self-medicating. You have some people who just, they want to decentralize themselves from society and they just don't want to live under the structure. So they're Absolutely. Just, so that's their escape is to just go and you know, live under the bridge so with the, for lack of a better term. But let's shift gears for just a second. Yeah. I think all of these things, none, none of this works until we can figure out how to do clean energy. Yes, energy is. I, I'm telling you, energy is at the center <laughs> of everything. It's, it's, it's. Well, I, I believe it's God myself. I, 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 I'm more of a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person, but. Um, and I'm a huge fan of Nikola Tesla, and we, we can we can vamp on that because I'm just an enormous fan of, of Nikola Tesla and um, some of the technologies that he was fighting for back in back in the day, battery technology and and uh, clean energy. All right, when you think about it, do you really want? I don't know if you're on the right side or the left side. Does anybody really want a dirty environment? Is it nobody wants that? No, and that's one thing that the COVID nineteen thing has really opened people's eyes to. Right, if you look at the, um, you know, like we were talking about heat maps. If you look at the uh, carbon monoxide map, there's a there's a, a satellite that orbits Earth that NASA controls, right? And it takes uh, images. It, it orbits the Earth, I think, uh, twenty times an hour. Right. And takes these images and it gives you these beautiful images of carbon dioxide emissions from certain geographic locations. And ever since the Wuhan thing happened, like China's Wuhan district is like an industrialized giant. Right. Almost zero carbon footprint since they've been shutting down. You look at the cities like uh, New York City right now, who's on lockdown and all of that, almost zero carbon footprint because their cars are not running, their taxis are not running, you know, all of those different places, which goes to show you that. If we don't figure it out, Mother Earth is going to figure it out for us because she'll purge us. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to purge us. But but the problem with that is is that clean energy means a loss of operating uh, revenue for extremely large business. If you could if you could offer free or extremely low cost energy to people like if I didn't have to charge my phone Right. Because it just charged off of, you know, some principles like Nikola Tesla, like scalar energy. Right. If my phone was able to charge by scalar energy, I would never have to plug it into the wall. I would never have to pay APS. I would never have to pay SRP. Um, Same thing if you were able to do the same thing and and run an electric motor off of the same idea. You'd never have to fill your car up with gas. An electric car would be great because it would be the the mechanism to harness the technology, to harness that energy. But you'd never have to charge it. Yeah. 
if so then you have no 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 solar companies you have no gas companies you have no uh, APS companies no SRP companies you have no oil and gas companies they all dissipate and that's the reason why it, the hurdle to get to clean energy is going to be so difficult because those people will lobby so hard because the people at the top of that hierarchy you're going to talk about billions <laughs> but we're talking about trillions trillions absolutely <laughs> well there's a lot to lose on on the that uh, centralized structure on on these types of technologies could you you think about the the fact of of kinetic energy alone yeah of, of just movement i mean i always thought about the fact of laying down kinetic strips on freeways i mean how much weight is is passing through a freeway at any given time a whole bunch and then hopping that energy over wireless pods to be able to power i mean there's so many different ways and that's a distri- that's a decentralized approach you think about that and to be less reliant on these centralized forces uh and and but but the thing is really what is the for the best of society when we really break it down is that and and the problem with that is for the best of society do we want to throw away the baby with the bathwater and that's the thing that that a lot of the 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 side of socialism with with me that i i get is the fact of i i you know we can overthrow things revolution marx you know and i'm reading about that and, and getting up everybody excited about things I don't think we're at a point right now that overthrowing is going to benefit anybody. We're just going to reset and end up with the same junk. So uh, what we need to do is, but it can be a subtle thing, though, because here's the thing is if we can continue to build these technologies that can be decentralized and serve people individually, at some point, there's going to be a tipping point where... You know the you know, the gas companies are just going to say, okay, we got to move, we got to move to wind, and we got to put our assets there. Yeah, well, and I think that's what needs to happen. I just don't know what I don't know what the kick in the ass is that needs to happen for that to to become reality. That's the biggest problem. Well, this might be the kick in the ass when you think about that. <laughs> well, you know, you think about uh, you know how much pollution is dropping because of this. People are staying home, and I want to ask you, Ryan, what do you think about the fact of telecommuting and working from home? To me, it, it, it because, okay, centralized structures of companies aren't going to necessarily want um, to use this uh, in a way, you know, this, this, the idea of, of having everybody go to work, right? Control. As well, opposed to working from your home. Today we're recording this. It's uh, March 30th, 2020, and we just got an alert that now they're going to control us even more with a stay-at-home order across the entire state of Arizona. Yeah. Control. Yeah. So what does that— There's 7 million people in Arizona, 900 cases. Mm. Um, like, look at the math on that. Yeah. <laughs> So what did you, did this just just hit? Yeah, I just I'm getting messages from our our, and what did our, it say again? our tech I was team. A... Uh, the, they are issuing a stay at home order in effect starting at five t- five p.m. tomorrow. Wow, for the entire state. Wow. Okay. Jeez. We're talking about control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get, maybe we'll get some drones. <laughs> yeah. no, target practice. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Okay. So let's break this down. The fact of okay, we could talk about this centralized control, but uh, I'm talking about after we're done with this and we get through it, and unfortunately, a lot of people are going to die. Um, is it going to be better though to be able to to kind of move more towards a telecommuting to where more people are able to telecommute? Because you think about the neighborhoods and communities as opposed to driving forty. I drive thirty five miles to work every day there and back. I drive eighteen. Yeah. So and you talk about pollution that is in between. Yeah, I'm thirty six miles round trip in a day. Yeah. And so, I have and I drive a V eight. Yeah. Right. And because I'm I have a I have I have a problem like I like trucks. Yeah. You know. And so I, I can't sit in a little car. 
and this is not my thing. But yeah, if I could still have my truck to pull my boat, that I could go use that on the weekends and not make that trip back and forth each week, then how much are we, are we changing the carbon footprint? Well, well, and, and just think about all the jobs that are not necessary to be physically in the place of where the the managers are that you physically. I mean, there's some jobs working at a resort. There's plenty. This job is specific, right? Uh, we we run a we run a studio, so um, it's it would be physically impossible for us to run radio shows remotely like you have to have a person in a central location yeah. for them to be able to take you know the phone callers from a and the skype from b and the you know tie line or the isdn connection from the host those all centrally come into the mixing board someone's got to physically be there to mix those things yes right but the rest of the company doesn't need to be here. I mean, imagine, and I've been talking to our owners about the, the idea of having what's called a co-working studio, right? Where you have the people who need to be here who are essential to the operation, operating the business on a continuous basis, running the radio shows and running the studio itself, but allowing all of the other entities, the executive producers, the standard producers, the social media people, the, you know, all of those folks who don't necessarily need to be here to do their jobs could do them from home. And then if they have a customer Customer, a client, a prospective uh, advertising, or somebody they need to meet. This is where the co-working space comes in, where you have a couple of conference rooms that you can book out in advance, come to the facility and look at the broadcast operation. But you're not housing a workforce of you know 30 salespeople in a building because those people could easily do their job from home. And you think about that. What does that do to society? So you're actually so not everybody, but but if a 20 percent, 30 percent of the labor force starts to work from home after this, because we're retooling. You're building tools. Zoom and, and Google and, and EdTech as tooling to be able to handle this. This mm-hmm. So once they are able to handle the bandwidth and they increase the increased need, they're not going to, you know, it's there. So we'll have it. So that's, I, I think what that's going to do is drive in smaller businesses and communities and and, and uh, propel more of a localized approach to yeah. our, our economies, which is good for small business, which is good for the climate. So something really uh, really good that came out of this particular instance with people working from home. I'll give an example. So um, we we had a meeting this morning, right? And uh, I'm always on the meeting with all of our executive producers who are also um, our, our sales team, right? And so there was probably 15 or 16 or 17 people in the meeting. So I've known a lot of these people for a long time, like over 15 years. Today during a meeting, our, uh, our our network director was in the meeting. We all had our video cameras on, right? We're doing the Zoom thing, and her cat walks across her desk. <laughs> I didn't even know she had a cat, right? I'm just saying there's there, there's these things too. I'm, I, I did a video call last week, and you know I'm talking to this woman. She's a very high end uh, marketing person over at uh, SAP. She's sitting there as we're talking, and she's holding her baby. Yeah. You know, and like just the humanity component of that, these things that like you would never see because when you come to the office, you just see the person as the person. Yeah, you know their personality, but you don't get a glimpse into their home, a glimpse into their lifestyle, you know. It was really cool to see you had, uh, you know, one person had their nice little desk all set up and they were all, you know, organized. And one guy was like, oh, my kids are homeschooled. So they're in the house and I'm in the garage and there's junk everywhere. And then, you know, but all of these different things. I never knew that about these people until we had this call today. Yeah. And, and, and the facilitation of working from home or working from home facilitated me and other people to see another side of people that we didn't see before which I think connected us even closer. Yeah, and then um, one of the things that I was I've been searching for is uh, you know labeling is is you know capitalism is it's human capital. You know, to see the the potential of each other and to see the the, the textures of each other like you're talking about is the context of of this is a human being. This is not a widget. 
You see what I mean? Yeah. We're not widgets. We are people. And uh, well, and there's it, a couple of people I think might be widgets. We'll, <laughs> we'll save that I've for another been show. Called a widget before. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, is is this possibly might be able to help us bring a, a an appreciation for labor for people? And uh, you know, we need to get through it. We need to get through it. We need to be safe. We need to we need to have social distancing. And um, but we need to also be cognizant of centralized control on these things. I mean, really, you know, you, we, you don't have to be conspiracy theorists to say that the disease, that the disease was released by somebody. We need social distancing, but let's not let the fear control us. Um, let's let us inform us so that we can grow and become better from it. Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and place your order on their easy-to-use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. Four cents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. Spa Tree and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. If human beings don't start being better right now and start paying attention to those things on a daily basis and stop just thinking about I, me, my... Right. Like the reason why there's no damn toilet paper on the stores yep. there. I swear to God, there's somebody out there that has like 15, 10 by 10 units at the storage facility oh, yeah. just filled with toilet paper. And, and it's that mentality, which is part of the problem. It is. And the human condition, it, but it, it's always has been the. The people, really. I mean, from the, 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 the French Revolution to you, 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 you. We talk about these things. We we do need to start to work towards evolving past this. And I think that I do really believe that technology can be part of it. It's not the panacea. It's not the thing that's going to solve everything. Maybe Zoom is the one who released the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
And, and it's really not conspiracy theory to me. It's just human nature. We're, we're facing yeah. people hoarding toilet paper and selling it at a profit is human nature. So we need to get beyond this, and maybe we'll learn from this. Let's 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 like I said, a hammer can be wielded by a nun or a serial killer. Well, so oh, you talk about tools. We so we just need a better tool than toilet paper. It's called, it's called a bidet. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> or the three seashells. What, what right, movie yeah. is that from? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I mean, that, but that I know, I know we're laughing and we're joking about this, but that's a perfect example of saying, hey, we have a problem that needs to be solved. What is the solution for that? Yes. Right. And there are solutions for that. Well, yeah. And this is a, this is a serious thing, right? So this this pandemic is a serious thing because we could see we could see more coming down the road. Absolutely. And I think this is a wake up call for us is that we do need to wash our hands. We need to be cognizant of shaking hands. We need to be cognizant of putting ourselves into situations um, you know, where there's mass amounts of people and just be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And then but more importantly, we need to also address the health care, you know, uh, uh, you know, the 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 better health we are, the better we're going to be able to fight off these viruses. You know, it was like when my my wife was pregnant. You know, and she was trying so hard to do all of these things herself. And I said, Angie, if you're not healthy, you can't take care of yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of the little ones. That's exactly it, right? And it's that whole mentality right there that if if you can maintain health for yourself. That allows you the opportunity to be standing on your two feet to pull up your bootstraps to be able to go make change and make a ripple in society so that way other people can feel what you're trying to accomplish. And hopefully they get it and they latch on to some of the ideas, whether it be, you know, the idea of a political structure change, the idea of energy change, the idea of, you know, um, of, uh, of the way we, we deal with farming and, and looking at, you know, farming in warehouses and different things versus, you know, having fields and fields of dirt where we put water and then more water and then more water and then more water. And then it takes 27 gallons of water to grow one head of lettuce. Imagine recouping all of that water that you're using to be able to filter it, recycle it and reuse it again. Yes, and that's actually the with the vertical farming we can actually segue into that is that uh, it it uses something like seventy five to eighty percent less water, mm-hmm. pesticides, herbicides are reduced. Um, you now, what does that do to the American farmer? But the thing is, also, why don't you have warehouses out in farmland? I mean, right? It, it's just it, it's the same idea of like we were saying earlier with the you know the oil and gas companies. You know, if you have a different way of creating energy, and I'm not even going to say electricity because there's other things. Besides electricity, because electricity is part of the electromagnetic structure, right? And we haven't even touched the idea of quantum energy. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And so, so, you know, uh, which is probably a whole show by (laughs) itself. But, um, but the idea behind that is again, it's 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 retooling. You know, it's it's a structure change. You know, it's it's we're not we're not farming in dirt anymore. We're farming in the same location, but we've built a warehouse to farm in with has a glass you know ceiling or something, so the sun still comes in or whatever the case may be. Maybe they're you know four million square foot greenhouses that are being created that allow people to do vertical farming on an indoor basis. Which how much how. I love farming. If you can't my, tell, my, my grandfather is a farmer, so yes. If you if you had the ability to m- increase your crop yield by forty percent, of course you're going to do it. You're going to do it. And then also think about this: you're growing food in communities. Mm-hmm. You reduce the amount of transportation. Then you think you you, you have lettuce uh, lettuce that is being grown right in your community. 
and it's it, it's so you're not trucking it as far. I mean, you're reducing oh, you, you, you the you reduce the, your the supply chain. Yeah, absolutely, the supply chain gets so yeah. much shorter. Yeah, and there's all these these all these technologies. I mean, there, there's there even the fact of um, uh, we talk about uh, Elon Musk and his tunnels versus flying drones. Um, my, my side of that is the fact that I don't want to see a lot of flying drones in the in the sky. But when you look at you know, tunnels versus flying drones for transportation to be able to mitigate a lot of the uh, the noise. Uh, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I, I I think that I, I've seen some video lately of, of flying drones that are holding people that are actually amazing. Um, you know, I think drone technology is, I mean, we've been using drone technology for a long time. I mean, the yeah. United States military has been using the Predator drone to drop bombs on people for quite some time. Yeah. So um, I think that I think that uh, drone technology is far superior than what we think it is. Absolutely. Far superior. You know, um, add in the idea of, uh, of AI and uh, Industry 4.0, which are, you know, like the, the – uh, industry of the future with robots talk a little bit more about that industry of 4.0 well industry 4.0 is like an automated uh an automated warehouse automated manufacturing um you know instead of having human beings that are on the assembly line they're uh pre-programmed robots that are doing the work um you know uh, thus greatly reducing the labor cost involved with the production of any product uh secondly just like the idea of like vertical farming locally if you're able to uh, create automotive parts in Arizona and not in Mexico or Canada or China or wherever they're coming from, and that place can create them there, you're reducing the supply chain uh, distance by quite a lot, which would reduce the cost. You're not trucking it anywhere. You're not shipping it anywhere. So all of those components of Industry 4.0 just make things uh, they make things easier for the distribution of items they also create jobs locally and so industry 4.0 is is the is the manufacturing of the future yeah and then you have to throw in 3d printing and yeah. printing metals which is uh, printing human ears <laughs> houses printing houses that's an amazing thing i've seen the ro- the robot machine that does that and oh. it does it with like uh, it, it, it's like concrete, right? And it just squirts the concrete around yep. in a circle and then and up the building it goes and there you have a concrete structure. And yeah. it's concrete. How, yeah. how long is that going to last? <laughs> For freaking ever. Yeah. yeah. No, it's amazing. And they're talking about being able to then cost-effectively build homeless shelters for people with 3D printed homes. Yeah. Um, these tiny house movements and things like that. But, uh, see, that's there's a lot going on with society that I think is very positive. Uh, it, a lot. It, it, it is. But we, we, can't, we can't rest on our laurels. We need to make sure that we're aggressive. And, and I just believe that you know, all the technologies you're just talking about right there, a lot of that is decentralized. It's smaller. So to Correct. me, it's that the future is small. The future should not be big because we've had enough of the big. Uh, yeah, we, we still need warehouse, you know, Walmart where they're able to take advantage of, of uh uh, supply chains and scaling, but with the technology, there's a lot of smaller companies that can take advantage of of you know managing their inventory more effectively. Where in the past they couldn't have competed with somebody like yeah, Walmart. Imagine imagine applying Amazon's logistical power to a local infrastructure. Oh, you know man, what I mean? Yeah. And then people want to sell store with pants. <laughs> you know that you know people want to sell store with they, they they can compete. And I like the idea. My uh, what, with driverless tech, we talk about driverless tech that's going to reroute uh, parking. 
um, that uh, what is that going to do to society? And I believe that that at some point that might re uh, more or less rebuild the way that our cities are built, more local, more small businesses where you're driven there and you're dropped yeah. off. And like your house has two cars, right? Your wife has a car, you have a car, your kid, you have three, you got a kid, you got your yeah, kid yeah, has a car yeah, too, yeah. right? So imagine households now only need one vehicle, yeah. right? Because you're going to want to have a vehicle like Americans love to drive. There is no <laughs> way I'm giving up, there's no way I'm giving up the freedom of being able to, yeah. on a Friday afternoon, get in my vehicle, drive up north, go to the lake, whatever the case that is. That stuff's never going to stop. But if I don't have to commute back and forth to work in that same vehicle, and that same vehicle can just stay at home and somebody else is going to take me to work, whether it be a autonomous ride share, whatever the case may be, um, that really opens up the opportunity for a lower carbon footprint, right? Because a lot Absolutely. of the autonomous vehicles are going to be electric um, and, and and we won't have to worry about the, the carbon footprint of that. But secondarily, I'm, then I can go trade my truck in and I can, you know, the like I'm paying two car payments right now, right? That that one car payment could go get me the electric truck that oh, I yeah, really yeah, want, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot of those ideas that we've been brought up uh, that we've brought up to on today's show that are extremely important. I urge all of you guys to uh, make sure you like and share this radio show and podcast. And no matter where you're listening to it, please make sure to rate us five stars because that's way better than uh, four. We'll take five stars. Uh, but I want to I want to I want to thank Jay Paul Duplantis, tech humanist with Emergent Web and consultancy to identify and implement technologies to explore human potential. What a great guy you are. No, thank you, man. You're a great you, guy, too. I always, I always learn from you. This is, I love these conversations. I love having them, too. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on and okay. you know, maybe uh, 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 stick to a couple more topics and not be so broad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. that would be cool. Yeah, we can absolutely. Get, get a little bit more into the weeds. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned in to Finding Your Frequency right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Make sure you tune in each week, Fridays at noon Pacific time, right here on Voice America, and catch yourself some more Finding Your Frequency. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week.